Oh my goodness. Wonderful. Well, I want to just say good evening to everyone from uh, Ohio. No, it's not Atlanta, but Ohio, it'll do. We grow beautiful corn, you know, the harvest is here. <laughs> so good day, good evening to everyone. I'm going to be sharing my screen here so that you can see. And I'm um, going to get started a bit here. So I want to start out by just saying that this is um, something that I have thought about for so long, just to give you a uh, a preview of my thinking about how this this uh, teaching came about. You know, when I was in school, you know, people always talked about the best way to get to to uh, to get information from you, to challenge you, to bring out the best in you, was to do something that was called like the Socratic method. That you know, a whole series of questions. You just keep drilling down with questions, questions, questions. And it always occurred to me that when people talked about Socrates, and I'm like, no, I know a master teacher. That master teacher is Jesus. So certainly the whole art and science of questioning, you know, Jesus, rabbi, teacher, masterful teacher, um, was able to ask questions in a way to get the, to, to first of all, challenge us um, and instead of directly telling us. So for me, Jesus has always been the model of asking, the art and the science of asking. And so tonight, this teaching is called Ask. Um, and I just have scripture there, Matthew 7, 7, Ask, it will be given to you. Seek and you will find, knock and it will be open. So I just want to start out with that and a couple other things before we get into the meat of the lesson. Um, just a reminder, I have to remind myself, um, being a part of the conservatory with the, the vision, the mission, and the purposes, and every time I think about a teaching, whether it's Prophet L.A., Prophet Andrea, Minister Sam, Minister Dominique, always thinking about the mission, those four statements, transforming, re, re, um, reinforcing covenant, elevating Christ, increasing understanding, just to kind of keep that as the center focus at everything that we do. So I just wanted to preview that, kind of put that on the slide for those of you who have access to a screen where you can see it. And also I wanted to put the giving information on here as well. Once we're done, I will kind of circle back around. I'll put the slide up again, or we can copy and paste it into the chat box for those of you um, who will need that information. Uh, and as always, every time I think about my posture as the teacher or as the learner or teacher student, I always kind of use this acronym of PrEP because I'm just, um, it is who I am. And everyone has their own preparation for receiving and um, for delivering. And mine is PrEP. So I always position myself to the biblical text. I always talk about when there's a teacher, I have this expectation that I'm going to receive something. And I always think about how I can apply that in a practical way to my life. And for me, um, I call it self-excavation because I'm constantly excavating, constantly drilling down, peeling layers back, um, digging up things um, to reveal the treasure within, um, always remaining teachable and always having this expectation. I don't care who's teaching. I always want to remain humble in this expectation that I'm going to get revelation. And then lastly, being present, being mindful. And sometimes we know we've been inundated with a lot of Zooms. And so sometimes it's easy um, in the, within the black box to be distracted or things that we feel like we have to get done. But I try, I try my best. I endeavor to stay present, which means that my attention is undivided. And so that's my prep 
when I'm not only delivering, but also when I'm receiving. So I always like to keep that slide on there just as a gentle reminder. And everyone, you know, some people may have their own way of prepping or their own way of preparing to receive or to deliver, but that is mine. And I always like to share it. So there, there are basically two things that I want to do today. And and um, Holy Spirit has really been teaching me a lot of things. And so this particular teaching probably will be developed to a lot of other teachings. Um, but I'm fascinated about uh, by Jesus' questions in the Bible. So there are two things I want to do today. The first is I want to examine like different times in the life of Christ where he served as exemplary model in the art of questions. What was his mission? What was his motive? And what were his reasons? Why, why did he ask those questions? And then for us, after we examine that, there'll be a couple of little scenarios to apprehend the importance of crafting beautiful questions. Beautiful questions are questions that are actionable. So they're not stagnant questions. They are, they are questions that catapult you to action. They are questions that activate you. They are questions that cause you to to move, to step into something. And so they, it's the importance of apprehending that, of those actionable questions as Jesus did. And why do we do it? It's for the purpose so that you can be your own catalyst to the answers you desire, not only the answers you desire, but the, desire, the, the answers you need, you need to know. And so these are two primary objectives that we have for today. Again, I, I, there's so much uh, to this, uh, just studying, well, you know, studying the life of Christ but specifically studying questions, the questions that he asked is a whole, there's just so much, there's such a treasure there um, that's just very fascinating to me. And I wanted to just share just what I, what, I, what I found and what I learned in studying that. So this is a couple, I call Jesus the questionologist. He's the master of questions. Um, and so it's, it's been said that among the four gospels, Jesus Christ, asked over 307 different questions, 307, lots of questions. Um, it's also noted throughout the Bible that Jesus was 40 times more likely to ask than give a direct answer. So um, many times when we see in the passage, we look in the text, when someone wants to know information, Jesus will submit that question to them. And pretty much the same way that Jesus, when he you know, spoke in parables, but not, not only did he ask these questions, um, he did it way more than he gave a direct response to something. And the other thing I want to note, like when we think about other words for questions, um, people can call it uh, interrogative statements, which comes from the word interrogate. Usually when we think about interrogate, we think of something negative. But interrogate is really to just jolt you or just um, put you in a... Uh, to submit something to you, to cause you to think about something in a deeper way. So Jesus did that, but he also used those questions to connect to humanity. Um, Jesus Christ also asked questions to encourage people to discover something new and do some excavation. So as opposed to just telling you something, Jesus would ask that question and it would cause you to go digging or to seek something. Also says Jesus Christ asked questions to generate thoughts in people. So questions permit you to sit still, to think about something, rather than allow someone to just give you something to pour that into you. And so I thought this was just really um, a wonderful way to think about the life of Christ. Um, so many um, things we can say about Christ. But again, for me, for this particular lesson, Jesus was like the grand questionologist. Uh, I mean, he's just fascinating to me. So there are other two other points that I want to 
want to make when we talk about Jesus Christ. And that is, though Jesus obviously knew the answer. So, you know, one who may not be familiar with the Bible may say that, yeah, I thought that was kind of odd. Similarly, the way that people talk about the way that Jesus spoke in parables, even the disciples, like, why are you speaking in parables? You know, why do you, people may have like, why did Jesus ask so many questions, you know? But we learn from the text that he set aside his divinity to ask questions like we do as human. So it's just like an exemplar, like an example of, of the quest to know something, to know, to be intimate with a body of knowledge. Jesus did that for us in the asking of these questions. And then the second part is that Christ's questioning challenges us. So, so in the questioning, he sees something in us that we don't see at the same time. So what he does is pull out that which he knows within us. So these are two very important points that we can think about when we look at some of the, the passages where Jesus is asking those questions. The first thing I want to talk about is, is um, just kind of knowing Jesus. So I'm going to take a look at Matthew 16, 13, and 17. 13 through 17. Um, and there's so many um, type of questions that Jesus asked, depending on what the circumstance was. For this one, knowing who, you know, having that intimacy with Christ um, and also knowing his identity, I think that was really important. So that's why I kind of pull this passage out because I think that serves as a foundation to know Christ, um, who is he, but also who is he to you? So we're going to take a look at Matthew 16, 13 to 17. And again, we learned in Matthew 16, the disciples, they're, this, you know, they're spending all this time together. And then there's an opportunity for them to reflect. But I'm, I'm going to look at passage, uh, the verse 13. When Jesus came to the re region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? So again, you know, <clears throat> we can get the murmurings of what others can think, those who do not have, who don't have that intimate relationship with Christ. Christ set them up to say, well, what, are, what are people saying? You know, he wanted to know from them, what are they saying? And of course they responded to them. But here's the, the second question. He didn't get the same type of responses. Who do you say I am? And then Simon P Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And then Jesus replied, calling him his full name. Blessed are you, Simon of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you are that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And so I think at that point, it's, it's, it's very important that number one, you get a variety of answers from not just one disciple, but in the end, when he says, who am I to you? Peter's the one who jumped at the, jumps at that opportunity. Now, <clears throat> at this time, we know Peter was really kind of eager. He was the first to respond. So we're, we're at, you know, you may question and ask yourself, what does this mean? Does it mean that, you know, Peter uh, just sought to be, uh, you know, because he was very eager. He wanted to please Jesus. Uh, was he the only one who knew? But I think the most important part was what Jesus, his response to once, once, Peter responded to that answer, the answer that Jesus gave in return. And so for me, um, when Jesus asked that question, the immediate response, Jesus is willing to answer that. So when you ask, you're willing to receive that which you want to know. And so 
when I think about us and we think about how other people are thinking about who Jesus, so many people in different religions and different, you know, uh, uh, walks of life, what they have. Some say Jesus, even today, is just a prophet, or they may say he was a teacher, depends on what the particular religion is. But I think the most important part for us, who is he to us? I think that's the most important part that we can learn from this. So again, the example of Peter reminds us of the importance of knowing who Christ is to us. So while we can, again, we can listen to what others, or we can hear it, or we can be in conversation, those who may not know, who haven't been reconciled to the Father, it's not so much about what they believe. And even though we can maybe have a conversation with them, what's most important is who do we think he is? So, and the reason why this is important, because to know who he is, to have that intimate, to know him, to have that intimate relationship with him, establishes intimacy and it opens the door for you to begin to ask questions in faith so you can ask those questions of someone who you are intimate with to not have that relationship with i don't know that you would be more likely to ask those questions and because we are asking them in faith we understand we continue to live our life by faith you know romans 1 and 17 reminds us the just shall live by faith and so again for me that one question that Jesus asked of the disciple, who do you say that I am? I think is, is the cornerstone of establishing that relationship that's necessary to springboard you into asking more questions. So that's just one example. So again, establishing that foundation, asking yourself, maybe you're writing in a journal, who, who is Christ to you? Not in addition to asking who is Christ to you, asking yourself, who are you? These are questions you may need to ask yourself. Who are you? Do you know your identity? Just really simple questions that we can ask of ourselves. So I thought this was really wonderful. I put your quote in there, Minister Samantha. So we were talking about identity on Sunday. And again, I just kind of want to reiterate this point of knowing Christ is the beginning of knowing yourself. So the beginning of knowing who you are. While we may, Christ asked the disciples, who am I? And while we may uh, meditate and reflect on that and say to ourselves, we may meditate and say that this is who Christ is. We also need to know who we are. But I thought this was so wonderful, this quote that uh, Minister Samantha said on Sunday, you are not the center of who you are. You know, so a part of who we know ourselves to be, the definition of who we are, our identity is not rooted. We are not centered in our identity. So uh, uh, knowing, knowing who we are is to know, to know Christ is to know who we are, essentially. So I'm going to pause right there. And I don't know if anyone, I was just kind of... Um, see if I can kind of look through the chat and see if anyone had any comments. I'm going to kind of pause right there before I go to the next one. Um, because for me, that was very telling, just that question of asking who Christ is. Because we um, sometimes we repeat what someone else is, but I think the whole point of Christ asking that question is he really wanted to know, do you know who he is for yourself? Not what others say he is and not what someone told you but to know for yourself who he is. And so the next question um, that, and Jesus asked a lot of questions when he went about healing, the next one, healing question. So everyone has read 
um, this particular passage, of course, when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been in that condition a long time, he said to him, do you want, do you want to be made well? Just that question, just a, a really simple question. So when I say in here, the question seems simple, but was it really? So one could easily say, and this is, we're talking about the man who was at the pool. He had been there for a very long time. Jesus asked him this question. He started talking about waiting for someone to stir up the water. So he had been there for a very long time. And so one could say that it's obvious that he wanted to be, the conditions were not so for him to be healed. So people could probably say, well, of course, why would Jesus ask that question? But, <clears throat> excuse me, one could easily say, of course, given the number of years the man had spent at the pool, that he wanted relief, but it was not until Jesus asked that we see an activation. So we we don't, uh, you know, the text didn't say, um, they said, yes, I want to be made whole or yes, I want to be healed. So we, you know, you can ask these questions. Did he, did he speak it in his heart? Did he say it softly? Um, did, he, did he muffle something? Um, did he say to himself, I have nothing to lose. Here's this man, he's going to heal me. Jesus said to him, rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made whole, took up his bed and walked. Just from that simple question, right? It wasn't his own convoluted question. It wasn't all sophisticated. He didn't do a, a you know, he didn't preface anything. Just something as simple as, do you want to be made well? Something as simple as that. So I think we can take something as simple as that and begin to ask ourselves when it comes to healing of our own selves, whether it's our bodies and our minds. So here again are some examples of really simple questions we can ask ourselves. What are some things we can ask ourselves using Jesus as a model? You know, um, maybe some of us are asking, you know, am I willing to let go of that relationship? Do I want to succeed in this position? Sometimes we can say, you know, of course, but sometimes we need to ask ourselves that to activate something. Do I want to give up that ad addiction? You know, have I committed myself to that task? What am I willing to give up? So, th so that the answer is not just in what you say, but it's in what you do. So the answer is the answer, the doing is the catalyst, it's the activation. So again, those questions that are actionable are what we consider to be beautiful questions, something that we can ask of ourselves just by looking at this model of what Christ did. So in addition, these are questions we can ask. Once we ask ourselves those questions and we are preparing ourselves for healing, these are really simple questions that we can ask of God. You know, how do I let go? What do I need to succeed? Why do I have this addiction? How do I stay committed? So, and I believe that sometimes because we say God is all knowing, we say God knows what's in my heart. God, God can read my mind, but sometimes we don't speak those things. And sometimes we think that just because of the condition that we're in, that God knows what, what I really want. So he's going to heal me of this. But sometimes it takes a simple question, something really simple. I also wrote in here that sometimes we're overwhelmed in life when there are so many things that we're dealing with. We can compose this big mountain of questions that we give to God and where we, we just kind of want to get to the end without going through the process. And we don't think that things can be as simple as, as they, they really are. So sometimes the simple questions are a stepping stone for the greater. The very simple questions are a stepping stone. And sometimes the simple questions keep you from 
A, overanalyzing, and then B, it permit, uh, uh, prevent our emotions from mastering our decision-making. Very simple questions, just like Jesus. So when we think about a predicament, a predicament or a situation we're in, and we can be overwhelmed by it, maybe we don't know which way to turn. Sometimes the thing that catapults us to the next step is just a simple question. Number one, asking of ourselves, are, are we willing to do that? Really true to ourselves. And even in asking ourselves, being still, being still and permitting ourselves to hear that answer so that we can hear with clarity, right? And also asking those simple questions of God. They don't, they don't have to be sophisticated. It can be something very simple that catapults you to the next step or keeps you going through this, this continual process so that you understand that you can't go from, uh, from this end, having this issue, and then all of a sudden you're at the end of it. Sometimes it, it's incremental. The, 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 the process that you go through is incremental. And sometimes you need those very simple questions to ask. Uh, and so the last one I want to share today is a question of love. And this was very important. I had a, I had a moment myself with this because a lot of times we use, we use the word love and we've been learning in the conservatory about love, how God is love. Uh, God doesn't have a characteristic of love. God is love. Um, and so I want to take a look at Luke 6, 32 to 35. And I kind of highlighted those points in there where it says, what credit is that to you? And so when we think about our capacity and our reach to love, many times when, we, when there are people who are before us who may not look like us, may not function like we do, um, uh, may have a, a, a different lifestyle, we have to ask ourselves, does, does our reach, our, our capacity to love reach them? Our love reach, essentially. And then we have to ask ourselves, what's the fruit of that? What's the result of that? What credit is that to us? Because if we ask ourselves, I'm only, if we tell ourselves, I'm only going to love those who are like me. I'm only going to love those who I know are, do, are the do-gooders. I'm going to only love those who I know are having a righteous life. What credit is that? So I love the way that Jesus lays this out. He's got these scenarios in there, and these really simple questions. But if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? And what's the benefit? right? Sinners love those who love them, again, and the do-gooders, the same thing, right? For even sinners, it, sinners do the same. And then the last, the last one, and if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? So <clears throat> essentially in verse 35, we see, but love your enemies, which is a challenge for a lot of us, right? If, we are, if we're being honest with ourselves, but love your enemies, do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. So let's take a look at uh, some of the things that we might want to think about when we think about our capacity or our love reach. Just that, what credit is that? So again, these three simple scenarios that Jesus lays out, and that very simple question, what credit is that to you? Asking ourselves, okay? What we do, we do in love, not seeking a return on our investment in an action or relationship. So these are the questions that we can ask ourselves when we are extending ourselves to someone who we may not know, right? What, 
what's the credit in this? Is this like a, a quid pro quo relationship? Am I, you know, do I want to receive something? Am I being nice because I'm expecting that in return, right? Uh, I'm reaching out to this person because there's something in it for me, right? Am I appearing to love this person or uh, extending hospitality because I'm really hoping this person, we're leading with that, I'm really hoping that this person will do the same of me. Jesus is asking this question, what credit is that to you? What credit is that to you? So again, some of the things that we can ask ourselves when we're examining our reach in love. So our reach in love is the essence of that passage. So essentially we're asking, what are the results of your actions? What is the fruit of your labor? How different are you than a non-believer? Is there a benefit? So we examine our reach in love. That's, the, again, the essence of that passage. So these are the questions we can ask ourselves when we're thinking about loving. You know, what's the credit for you? Do we love the friendly neighbor only? The elderly man only? The hostile worker? Do we love the hostile worker like we love our friendly neighbor? Right? How about the transient family? Those who are homeless? Right? How about the peculiar store owner who, who seemed disgruntled every time you walk in or never has anything to say? And how about the driver with road rage? So these are really, these are real scenarios that we can ask ourselves when we think about questions about a question of love, right? So if Jesus has already told us that these are things that we're supposed to do, then how are we, are we being whimsical in our extension of love to those? Or are we being consistent? What is our love reaching those? So again, um, and I'm going to open it up because I really wanted to have a discussion um, about the, just um, Jesus as the questionologist. And I know some of the, the slides, but I do want to have some discussion. So I hope there's some comments or some discussions that we can ask. There's so many occasions, uh, again, over 370 questions that Jesus asked. That was in the four gospels, those questions that he asked. So here, here is what I'm, I'm hoping. Um, as we navigate our way through all the teachings, and um, some of us have been in the, you know, book on book club on Saturday, um, we're receiving lots of input, lots of information. And some of us, we're still trying to navigate. Uh, there are bits and pieces that we're trying to pull together like a puzzle to make it whole, but we have questions. And so again, one of the ways to add to, to examine yourself and, and get the answer that you want is to study the life of Jesus and how he asks those beautiful, very simple, actionable questions. And so I'm going to leave you with this. May we lean not to our own understanding, but learn to ask in faith for that which we desire to know. And so, again, I know this was pretty um, kind of went through some of uh, the slides kind of fast, but I do I do want to have an opportunity to discuss some things. We're going to take a look in the chat box. And then um, if anyone wants to ask any questions or have any commentary, um, please feel free to do so. And I'm going to stop sharing right there. Okay.